Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Two friends spent a summer afternoon skeet shooting in rural Pennsylvania. Only one returned home. The other died of what was determined to be an accident. What happened that day sent shockwaves through a small town and launched a mystery that would take 20 years to solve. Montrose is a quiet rural area in the northeastern corner of Pennsylvania. It's a small, close-knit community with stately homes, one traffic light, and the courthouse that dominates the town square. In 1976, Montrose was home to 30-year-old Martin Dillon, his wife Pat, and their two young children. Marty Dillon was a very popular man in town, and his father was the local mayor. I mean, everybody knew him and, and really liked him. On June 2nd, 1976, Martin Dillon left work early to go skeet shooting at his family's hunting camp, a secluded place called Gunsmoke. His good friend, Dr. Stephen Schur, went along. Stephen Schur was one of the town's doctors and a close personal friend of the Dillons. Martin asked some other friends to go with him that day, but they all had other plans. And they said, Marty, I can't go out. I said, I got just so much going on, I just can't get away. And he, uh, I just didn't go. A few hours later, Martin Dillon lay dead. Martin Dillon was laying on his back with his arms outstretched. There was clay pigeons under the, the one arm. The wound itself was dead center into the chest, right into the heart. There was no mistaking that it went straight into the heart. Dylan's ear protectors and sunglasses were lying on the ground near his body. The shoelace of his right boot was untied. Dr. Schur told police that he and Dylan were headed towards the cabin when Dylan spotted a porcupine, grabbed Schur's loaded shotgun, and ran to shoot it. Schur said Dylan apparently tripped over his shoelace and fell on his gun, which went off accidentally, blasting a hole into his chest. Schur attempted to perform CPR, then went next door to get a neighbor. He smashed the shotgun against a tree in a fit of rage, saying the gun would never kill anyone again. 
State policeman Frank Zanin took the photographs of the scene. And I says, wait a minute, he was running from where? I said, down the path. He ran up the path here after a porcupine. And I said, well, this doesn't make sense because his boot laces are untied. He said, yeah, that's where he tripped over. I said, no, take another look. I said, the boot itself is tight to the leg. I said, if he had been running, that boot would have been wide open. And Zanin was concerned about another part of the story. Well, he said, he rolled him over. He tried to perform CPR. I said, CPR? I said, the hole's right through his heart. I said, it's dead center in the chest. I says, he's a doctor. He no CPR. He's dead. Martin Dillon's body was taken to the county morgue in the basement of a funeral home in Montrose. On the death certificate, the coroner, who was a political appointee, ruled the manner of death an accident. The funeral took place in the same church where Martin Dillon was married. Dr. Schur was one of his pallbearers. For Martin Dillon's father, Larry, sadness was overshadowed by suspicion and doubt. He did not believe his only son's death was an accident. A few months after the shooting death of Martin Dillon, Dr. Stephen Scher divorced his wife, Anne. Some said it was the stress of the death of his best friend. Others said trouble had been brewing between Scher and his wife for some time. Either way, Stephen Schur moved from the small town of Montrose, Pennsylvania, and eventually settled in North Carolina. A year and a half later, Stephen Schur remarried his new wife, Pat Dillon, the widow of his best friend, Martin Dillon. When Larry Dillon learned that his daughter-in-law and his two grandchildren were moving in with the only witness to his son's death, he grew increasingly suspicious. He questioned the conclusions of his son's autopsy, which was done by a family doctor who was not trained in forensic medicine. So Larry Dillon went to visit this man, Stu Bennett, a friend of his son's and a former police officer who was running a small company in Montrose specializing in accident reconstruction. He felt that he was murdered. Uh, he did not tell me specifically why or, or he couldn't. He just felt in his heart that the, it was not the way it was reported, was correct. Bennett studied the autopsy photos and read the report. The first thing he noticed was that Dylan's wound was one inch by one and a half inches in size but the internal diameter of a 16-gauge shotgun is five-eighths of an inch. A contact wound made by that gun would be the same size, five-eighths of an inch, and not any larger. To find out for sure, Stu Bennett conducted an experiment. He stretched some pig skin over a mannequin and used the same make and model 16-gauge shotgun with the same ammunition used in the accident. In order to create a wound the same size, the gun had to be three to five feet away from the pig skin. Now, when I say the firearm is three to five feet away, I'm talking about the end of the barrel 
all right, where the shell actually comes out. Now you have another 40 inches, 36 to 40 inches to the trigger housing itself. So now you're up to six feet away, between five and six feet away from the trigger housing to discharge the firearm, which means that you'd have to employ a stick or some other type of string or to have the gun discharge. And there was no gunpowder residue on Dylan's shirt, which would have been present if it had been a contact wound. And there was no blood from the wound found on the shotgun barrel. Stu Bennett suspected homicide and shared his feelings with Larry Dillon. It didn't surprise him. In fact, the family broke down and cried. And the Dillons, like others in the small town of Montrose, began to hear rumors that Dr. Schur and Martin Dillon's wife, Pat, were having a sexual affair before Martin's death. Pat Dillon had been a nurse at Montrose General Hospital, the same hospital where Dr. Schur practiced. There were rumors going on by employees in the hospital of uh, open caressing, that sort of thing going on. Maria Efemiades described this clandestine relationship in her book, Secrets from the Grave. They just didn't seem to care. They didn't care if anyone knew, if anyone saw them. When they were caught, they just sort of just went back to their work and, you know, it would just happen again. Seasons passed, then years. And in time, law enforcement agencies moved on to other cases. But questions remained. What really happened at Gunsmoke that day in June of 1976? For almost 20 years, those questions remained unanswered. Martin Dillon's parents never gave up their fight to have their son's death reinvestigated. They were convinced that the autopsy was incomplete and the manner of death incorrect. The state policeman who photographed the accident scene agreed with the Dillons and was never convinced it was an accident. It's very frustrating when people don't want to listen and you know something's wrong. In 1991, 14 years after the accident, Frank Zanin and others helped convince the state police to send the evidence to the FBI lab in Washington, D.C. And they also sent the evidence to this man, Herbert McDonnell, an expert in blood spatter. The first thing he analyzed were the boots Dr. Schur was wearing on the day of the accident. Dr. Schur said he was 150 feet away from where Dylan tripped, fell, and accidentally shot himself in the chest. But on Dr. Schur's boots, McDonald discovered a very fine mist of blood, which he identified as high-velocity impact spatter. High-velocity impact spatter results when something such as a bullet or shotgun pellet strike a source of blood, like a body. As a result, the energy breaks up blood into very small spots. Their little droplets are almost atomized or vaporized. High velocity impact spatter was also found on the side of the tree stump closest to Dylan's body and on the instep of Martin Dylan's left shoe. 
This indicated that Dylan was squatting near the tree stump when he was shot, not running after a porcupine. Forensic pathologist Dr. Isidore Mahalikas was also asked to look at the evidence. He noticed another inconsistency in the photograph of Dylan's body. The legs of his trousers were pulled up, exposing his socks. Indicating that somehow he had been either in a seated or in a squatting position. Otherwise, why would the cuffs ride up? Dr. Mahalikas also noticed what is called scalloping on the edges of the gunshot wound, evidence that the shot pellets had started to spread as they traveled through the air before striking the skin. Scalloping does not occur around a contact wound. Once the Dillons heard of this new information, they filed a petition to exhume their son's body for a second autopsy. This time, Dr. Mahalikas performed the autopsy. Dr. Mahalikas discovered that the direction of the wound track was in a downward direction at a 45-degree angle. The shot came from the right of Martin Dillon and went through Dillon's heart and left lung. The wound track is wrong if the gun had dropped and then shot him. We would either have a perfectly backward or an upward uh, wound track. Here, this was a sharply downward and very angulated from right to left. Authorities could no longer ignore the evidence. And on June 26, 1995, Martin Dillon's death was formally declared a homicide. The next day, Dr. Stephen Schur and his wife, Pat, returned to Pennsylvania to hold a news conference. Schur told reporters he was innocent and still maintained that Dillon was chasing a porcupine and fell, accidentally shooting himself in the chest. The last I saw Marty Dillon alive, he was moving away from me up the end of this trail towards where we had just been. And I just waited there for him to come back or to tell me to do something else. Uh, I heard a click and a shotgun blast. And I think I yelled out, you couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, <clears throat> teasingly, and then uh, nothing. Steve is not capable of the things they've accused him of. I've known him and lived with him for 17 years. He's not capable of this. Is it true that you two had an affair? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. To claim that they've got a murder case, they've had 19 years to investigate it, they've had investigators, all the state police, they've had their autopsy and everything else. Their move next, we challenge them. The challenge was accepted. Dr. Stephen Schur was arrested and charged with the murder of Martin Dillon. Two decades after his death, Martin Dillon would finally get his day in court. Twenty-one years after the shooting death of Martin Dillon, Stephen Schur sat in a courtroom on trial for the murder of his former friend. According to the prosecution, 
Martin Dillon knew that Schur was having an affair with his wife and told him that day, while skeet shooting, that he had talked it over with his wife, Pat, and that she agreed to end her affair with Schur. Fear would not accept this, because Fear was obsessed. And he said to himself, it's not going to be this way. It's not going to be this way. I'm going to get what I want one way or another, and you have to die. While Martin Dillon was reloading the machine with clay pigeons, Stephen Schur placed special ammunition into his gun, moved to within five feet, and fired a single shot into the center of his chest. The shot entered Dillon's chest at a 45-degree downward angle directly into his heart. The blast caused high-velocity impact spatter to land on Schur's boots and onto the side of the tree stump nearest to Dillon's body. Schur then removed Dillon's ear protectors and sunglasses and untied his shoelace, making it appear that Dillon tripped and fell. Schur then invented the story about Dillon running after a porcupine with his gun. When Schur returned to the scene with the neighbor, he picked up the gun and smashed it against a tree in a public display of grief. In court, when Dr. Schur learned of the forensic evidence against him, he changed his 21-year-old story. He finally admitted that he had been having an affair with Dylan's wife, Pat, at the time of the accident. He also admitted fabricating the porcupine story. But he still claimed Martin Dillon's death had been an accident. Schur said he and Martin argued over the affair. There was a scuffle, and the gun went off accidentally. Schur said he didn't think anyone would believe him, so he staged the accident scene and made up the story about the porcupine. But prosecutors didn't believe this new version either. The only reason he put himself in proximity uh, to the deceased at the time was because of the overwhelming evidence we had of the blood spatter on his boots. The angle and direction of the wound track, the hiked-up trousers with the socks showing, and the size and location of the blood spatter all pointed to only one conclusion, that Martin Dillon, while kneeling near the tree stump from approximately five feet away, was murdered by Stephen Schur. The motive? Stephen Schur wanted Pat Dillon all to himself. Martin Dillon's children, whom Dr. Schur had raised since they were small, stood solidly behind their stepfather during the trial, even contributing a part of their father's life insurance proceeds for his defense. But the forensic evidence was too great. The jury convicted Dr. Stephen Schur of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The verdict was a long-fought victory for the parents of Martin Dillon. Larry, what kind of thoughts went through your mind when the, that first-degree verdict came back? Were you thinking of Marty? Yes. What kind of thoughts are going through your mind? 
Wow. I really did it for him. Did you ever think this day would come? Yes. I've been praying for it. After Dr. Schur spent 20 months in prison, the Pennsylvania Superior Court overturned his conviction. A judge said the state's 20-year pre-arrest delay caused substantial prejudice to his right to a fair trial. In 2002, that decision was overturned. Dr. Schur was retried in March of 2008. A jury deliberated just two hours before finding him guilty yet again. He will spend the rest of his life behind bars.